Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, one of the things that I've noticed over the years, um, I've only been a pastor for three and a half years, but it makes no difference. The only words, the newlywed, or, or sorry, not the newlywed, but maybe the newlywed, hopefully not. Um, but the, the man going through premarital counseling notes about Ephesians chapter 5 is that his wife is supposed to submit. Six-letter word, very easy, right? Requires nothing on the part of the man to do anything. He just has to look at her and say, look what the Bible says. Submit. That's what it says, right? Well, yes, it does, of course, but did that person, did that man really read the words of St. Paul and everything that he spoke concerning marriage and husbands, or did he just kind of tune the rest of it out? Every word that had to do about Christ as the example. A man who just looks at his wife and says, Submit! When he doesn't get his way, is no true and faithful man of God. He's completely taken scripture out of context. He's completely blown up this narrative and made it his own. Does the Bible say that a woman is to submit to her husband? Yes, it does. In everything, just as Christ's church submits to him. But don't think that for one moment that means that a man is to victimize, to abuse to beat into submission a woman who has been given to him by God as a gift, as a companion, as a helpmate. For that would be doing exactly the opposite of what the scriptures have spoken. Godly headship, which the Lord commands here, begins first with the man's call to be the head. That's all the way back into the Garden of Eden but to understand this, we have to be familiar with our own bodies, and all of you have a head. Thank goodness. You have arms, you have a torso, you have a body, you have legs, you have everything that God has created you with. Thanks be to God. So this will be quite easy for you. If you make decisions in your head that are harmful to your arm, how long will your body last? If you make decisions in your head which harm your hands or your legs, how long will you survive? Not very long. In fact, if we were to think about this in this room right now, even to test it, and we saw one of you hurting yourself, would we not stop and, and, and stop you from doing that? Because it's not beneficial to the body. What does God say? about the body. It is attached to the head. And the head acts to benefit the body, to care for the body, to cherish the body which God has given it. Or else, what do we call that? We need to get help, right? Being a husband is not about getting your own way. It's not about being selfish. It's not about even making the decisions which only benefit you. That would be 
pretty remarkable, wouldn't it? Live your life as a horrible king, oppressing his people? Not quite that bad. At least if you're the king, right? But God doesn't call us as men, as husbands, to be imitators of a horrible and wicked king of oppression. He calls us to be as Christ was, a head concerned about the body, willing to outpour every portion of himself, including laying down his life so that the body would live. That's what every man should look to. The example of Christ. St. Paul said this. He wrote in Corinthians, The head of every man is Christ. The head of the wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. No man is a God unto himself. His head is Christ, the one who died for him. And the head of Christ is the Father. And the obedience of Christ shows us our example. To be obedient to the example of Christ as men, godly men. No husband is faithful to the word, the word of God, who hates his own body. That is, speaking of his wife, his children. Men who are godly husbands will humble themselves under their head, which is Christ. They will see their struggles in life. They will see the times when they act selfishly to fill their own desires. They will see when they've held that trump card of submit and used it in the wrong way. And the godly man will repent, knowing that the blood of Christ covers their sins. The godly man will get back up and live their life as Christ did, entirely and wholly devoted to the well-being and the care of the church. And he, the faithful husband, will be entirely and wholly devoted to the care and well-being of his wife and family. And what was Christ's first and foremost concern for his church? That she have faith. Believe in him. Believe in the one who came to adorn her in such holiness and splendor. That she shines like a city on the hill. But we're not talking about outward beauty. The hidden beauty of the heart. The adorning with forgiveness with life and salvation. He was concerned about her living. So he comes to lay down his life, to pour out from himself all and give everything so that we would live. And not just here, but so that we would enjoy a wedding feast in his kingdom. We say this often, we have a foretaste each Sunday of the feast to come. 
It's a foretaste. It means it gets better. It means that you're going to be gathered, as we have sang in these hymns, with all the celestial band, with the heavenly angels and all the choirs, the patriarchs, the apostles, the martyrs, the faithful women of the church that have passed on the faith to their children. The call of God to every man is to care about the body. To care about the body that is his wife and his family. He must teach them the word of God. Without this, there is no salvation. Without Christ, there is no forgiveness. I've served this congregation for three and a half years. My only call as a pastor is to this congregation. And each week, it is my sole purpose and duty in this place to bring to you the forgiveness of Christ. As a pastor, that is my call. But as a husband... As a father, I have a call within the congregation of my home to bring the word of God, to bring the forgiveness of sins, to make my entire family's life centered around Christ and him crucified, morning, noon, and night. And when I'm not there, to know that my wife is faithfully carrying out that task. Each man who has this gift of family, whether wife or children or both, has a congregation who is depending upon them to fulfill this responsibility. It's clear that the man who finds himself above the word with no need for Christ, a God unto himself, will be selfish. He will refuse the responsibilities. When he's admonished or rebuked for his failure to teach, to bring his family to church, he will only harden his heart more. Because he sees no need for it for himself. So what does it benefit his family? And then all things suffer. Marriage, God's institution, will suffer. Because it was created for mutual companionship, help, support. The wife is bound to suffer without his help. Not that she cannot take up his role and teach faithfully, but that his children are bound to see a bad example of a father. They will not know the example which Christ gives as they would see it in a faithful man. They are at risk. They will suffer temporally. It could be as worse, as bad as a faithless generation. But at the very worst, for that person, for that child, eternal damnation. It's a tall order. I call it God calls man to be faithful to. And so we must hold very closely these words from Psalm 127. 
Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. The man who refuses Christ and his word builds his house in vain. He watches over it in vain. And so we must see if we are to be godly men, if we are to encourage the godly men in our lives in this very congregation, we must hold fast to the word. Teach that the word of God is not just for other people. It's first for me. Men, women, children, doesn't matter. The word first comes to me. A double-edged sword as I would use it. First it convicts me of my sins and my failures. But then quickly enters in the word of forgiveness. And then... Then it may go out from me to my friends, to my family, to my wife, to my children, even to this congregation. Faithful husband of God loves. He loves. He doesn't rule in terror, but he rules by grace. He loves his wife and he thanks God for the fruit of her womb, if he has children. He blesses God for all the gifts that he gives to him in this marriage. He holds out hope for how God might use him to bring faithfully the word to the next generation, to his wife. He loves the arrows of his quiver. The arrows of his neighbor's quiver he praises God for. And the children of God bless him. He does not beat his wife and children into submission. He rules them in love. He submits to Christ. And he sacrifices whatever is necessary, whatever is required of him by God, even his life in protection of his family. All men, not just those with families, must grow up in this manner. Always ready to wield the word of God in home and in society. Our young men must be prepared, well catechized and ready and equipped to face the battles of this culture. Because everything I'm telling you tonight, you will not hear in the news. You'll not read it in a magazine. It only comes from the Bible, and from the pulpit. It's not what the world teaches. We ready our children, our young men tonight, so that when the time comes, they may follow the example of Christ, their head, in caring for their own bodies, should God bless them with a wife, should God bless them with children. Finally, I leave you with this. It is a tall order that God entrusts to us, to husbands, to men. 
He entrusts the husband with the good of his wife, the good of his children, also that the father and husband might empty himself out in love to serve them in humble in humility and foster their growth in faith and in the life. I want you to think about Joseph as such an example. When he took Mary to be his betrothed and she was found to be with child, he was a just man. He was not even willing to shame her prior to the voice of the angel Gabriel. He treated her with dignity and respect, even though he thought that she was unfaithful. But then, when the angel came to him, he did not question the word of God nor his responsibility to that child conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, nor did he question what he would do to protect not only the Savior of the world, but the one who bore the Christ. Joseph is a wonderful example for us, a just man. An example for us to follow as fathers and as husbands. For as God has promised to shield us from the attacks of the enemy, forgive us our sin, lead us into green pastures and beside still waters. Even as he promises to restore our soul, so too must every godly man lead, protect, and care for his family as Christ and God the Father cares for us. So my prayer for you, for you men, for the young children who are men in this congregation and will grow up to be men. May the Lord provide to you all the abundance of his forgiveness for your failures. May he strengthen you with the resolve to get back up and to try again. May he help you where you have fallen to make amends. May he soften the hearts of those you have hurt so that by his holy word from your mouth the healing may begin. May he watch over all our young men so that they may grow up into Christ their head, that they may delight in his word and grow to be the faithful and godly men of good character, to lead the next generation in the paths of righteousness for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all our understanding guard and keep your hearts and mind. Christ Jesus, our Lord.